Computing Broadcast, a fascinating round in three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. So this week, I have returning guest Eleanor Herman, who you may remember from episode 115, The Royal Art of Poisons, which is a great listen. Uh, Please go back and check it out. I've just put it up on YouTube as well, but you can always find it in the archives. We got everything up there, uh, fascinatingnouns.com if you want to check it out. But this week, Eleanor and I discuss her new book, Sex with Presidents, which is about all the affairs and escapades of the Oval Office, which I'm very excited to dive right into. So, Eleanor, thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, I, I you know, this is, I imagine, this has got to be pretty exciting for you because you're in my two-timers club, which means this is the second time you've been on the show. And that usually, you know, normally it means, oh, it's the second time, it's great. But in your case... This is kind of an allusion to what your book is about, <laughs> the Two Timers <laughs> Club, right? <laughs> Some of those guys, it was more than two times, believe me. <laughs> That's true. Um, you know, and I got to tell you, your, um, you know, your books. I love the title of it, by the way, uh, "Sex with Presidents: The Ins and Outs of Love and Lust in the White House." <laughs> it, a little on the nose, though, right? We can admit that. <laughs> yeah. I think it's great, though. You know, it's it's funny because, you know, the last time we talked, it was about The Royal Art of Poison, which uh-huh. I, I love that book. I mean, that is such an incredible book. And actually, you know, this is interesting. Let, if you don't mind, can I ask you a quick question about that as a follow-up? Sure. Because, you know, recently we just saw a poisoning in Moscow. You know, we talked a lot about Vladimir Putin and his you know, very inventive ways of poisoning people. But what did you what did you make of this, uh, the, the new poisoning? Um, it, it seems and people had thought that he had drunk a cup of tea at the airport. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what poisoned him. But then upon further study, you know, all of his buddies, when they realized that he had been poisoned, they grabbed everything they could from his hotel room and then just threw it in a sack and left the country, I think. And they, <laughs> there, were, there were like unopened water bottles from the... Um, you know, in the hotel, right? In the right. hotel room. And apparently he had opened them thinking it was a fresh water bottle, but maybe someone had put in, um, like with a needle, put the poison into the, the water bottle in his hotel room. They, they must have known, you know, what room he was going to be given. It's really scary. It's like, how did these people get poisoned at the restaurants? You know, mm-hmm. um, like uh, Vladimir uh, Kara, whatever his name was, you know, they, they must have people working in, in restaurants or allowed to go in there with their poison. And, and, you know, what did the guy order? He ordered hot dogs. Okay, we're going to inject them with this radioactive stuff. <laughs> right. I, think, I, think, I think that's that's what they do, right? You know, see, here's what's weird about that and, and what's doubly scary is, you know, we watch a lot of movies where, you know, I just saw Blade for my other podcast. I had to watch Blade, which is about this vampire hunter and he's, you know, trying to take out these, these you know, pods of vampires which have infiltrated every place in the government. But, you know, those types of movies really play on these fears that you're talking about where you have these powerful politicians that have essentially, you know, infiltrated every aspect of life where, you know, they, they may have... you know, uh, 
you know, a barista on their payroll, which they may never use except the one time when their political opponent exactly. walks into the Starbucks and then they're activated. It is scary right. to think about that, you know? Yeah, it's scary to think that I wrote the book with a whole chapter on Vladimir Putin doing this kind of stuff. <laughs> well, when we talked about it, you assured me, Eleanor, now hold on here, you assured me that my life would be safe because he only went after people who were not, you know, who were um, betrayed the motherland, Russia, not just, you know, goofy guys like me who are tweeting about it. Is that still true? Or do you, are you fearing for your life? Well, that, 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 that's, that's what I, that's what I hope. Let's, let's put it like that. I, okay. I don't, I don't think I would rise to the level of his notice necessarily, <laughs> but uh, right. uh, anyway, on to sex with presidents. Yeah. Let's talk about something much more interesting than poisoning. Right. Well, I would argue that poisoning is still pretty interesting, but let's, it's definitely sex is more fun. We can both agree on that. People would rather have sex than be poisoned. I think, you know, I can get a unanimous <laughs> agreement on that. I think. Right, 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 now, right. Now, this is kind of your specialty, if you don't mind me saying so, because <laughs> you, you've written Sex with Kings, Mistress of the Vatican, Sex with the Queen, and now, again, I just got to say it one more time, Sex with Presidents, the ins and outs, if anyone didn't get it the first time, of love and lust <laughs> in the White House. You know, the, the presidents are kind of, in some ways, are royals. Um, did you do that because you ran out of royalty um, or did you think that doing the Duke and banging the Baron just wouldn't sell? Well, I, I did sort of run out of royalty, right? I used the best stories for my, my first uh, three books about kings, queens, and, and popes. Um, and I think just with everything going on with um, the, the allegations against Donald Trump, you know, for sexual assault, and everybody knows, you know, it's clear he was unfaithful to all three of his wives, and then there's Stormy Daniels, and was that, in, you know, a campaign violation that he paid her to be quiet, or was it just that he didn't want to embarrass himself, you know, with his wife, you know, there's just all of these issues that came up, and I thought, you know, even though I wasn't as interested in American history as I always have been in European with the moldy old palaces and the crown jewels, that, that always got my attention, I thought it's probably time to just do sex with presidents. And so I, I got into it and um, I just, I learned so much about American history, stuff that I never knew and that I, I thought was really fascinating. So I'm really glad that I did the book and I hope that readers um, learn a lot about American history that, you know, you might not uh, learn in a high school U.S. history class as well as get really entertained uh, by the stories. Well, I would say that's a success on both counts. And again, I'm going to go out on a limb. I think I'm going to get unanimous agreement on this. But I imagine the the sheer number of women that JFK slept with is not going to appear in any high school history book. I think we can agree on that uh, for sure. Uh, nor the size of his penis, which you also talk about in here, which I think is kind of <laughs> amazing. Uh, but you, you know, it is super in, in, interesting. And I think in some ways... This does two things. Number one, it kind of satis it, it titillates, you know, the which I think kind of started in Britain. This obsession with like the the royal, the the ruling class. You know, we uh -huh. they love the royals over there. You know, we love our our po politicians here, and and I think also it, it talks. There's when I here's what I came away with in this book. I realized that this really was confirmation bias that relationships in general are extraordinarily difficult. And there are they're so multifaceted on just everyday level. But when you start adding, you know, these political levels, the, the you know, people who are playing all sorts of 3D chess with the world and, you know, uh -huh. their partners become people who 
you know, are you kind of higher to your strengths, let's say. So there are some presidents who who married women who were great at organizing them and they became a power couple, but love wasn't there and they needed to find love elsewhere. And I think that there are this both showed the multifaceted nature of relationships in general, but also how what is the template for a successful relationship at the highest level, the highest office in the land? Did you, what did you think about that? Um, I, I think, so the template would probably be uh, the Obamas. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just never a whisper of either one of them having an affair or, uh, you know, getting in knockdown, drag out fights. I, you know, I think the, the Carters uh, were extraordinarily faithful and, and happy. I think the, the Bidens uh, are. Um, I, you know, I think there have been um, many couples um, that, that, you know, really were successful and there was no, there was no um, adultery involved. And then, and so there's just all these different categories, right? So there's, there's that. And then there's the one where someone like, um, like Roosevelt, whose wife stopped sleeping with him in 1918, um, had a, a long relationship with the love of his life, the woman he really wanted to uh, marry and wasn't able to. And that, that's very understandable on a, on a human level. And then you get people like, uh, like JFK, who had sex with two or three women a day, sometimes at the same time, sometimes with his brothers, they'd all be in the same room. And when they finished with one room, woman, they would swap. How gross is that to be like having sex in the same room with your, I mean, it's just, it's, it's unfathomable. The guy, the guy was pathological with regards to his sex drive. Now, I do want to point out one thing that just, that happens more often than you think. I mean, a football player, I believe it was Earl Thomas just got caught with his brother and 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 a woman, so it's not it doesn't it's not it's not just politicians, which is kind of what's crazy. Well, I guess it's a part of like you know some subset of of human beings like that kind of thing. But you know, I think most of us find it incredibly creepy. It's <laughs> not for everyone. <laughs> and he had the most beautiful first lady of all. You know, Jackie was was just you know kind and smart and fashionable and and, and gorgeous, and you know he was just. He was just the worst one. Um, and then there was Harding, which a lot of people these days, that you know, they've really never heard of Warren Harding. He was elected president in 1920, and um, I guess he was in his 50s at the time, still a nice-looking older man, but there was something about Warren Harding. I don't know if he exuded pheromones or something. It must have been like a fragrance of sex in the air just coming from his pores. Women followed this guy around throughout his entire life, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, uh, single women, married women, teenagers, prostitutes, uh, they, they would beg him to have sex with them. And he almost always complied because he was just so hopelessly horny. Sure, <laughs> hopelessly horny. That should have been the subtitle of your book, Sex with Presidents, the Hopelessly <laughs> Horny. Uh, so one of the things that's kind of interesting is, you know, when the last chapter of your book in some ways, for me, you know, I, I got to the book and I saw that and it's basically on, you know, European people, you know, the European thought behind uh-huh. all this. And I, I, I read it because I, I read every book that, that I that I um, set out to, to read, but I, I wasn't really going to take it seriously from a note taking perspective because I was like, oh, what does the European thought have to do with American presidents? Well, turns out, stupid me, of course, as soon as I say that, it turns out that that is actually what ties your book together in this very strange way, because the last chapter really puts 
American thought on the presidency and on sexual affairs and relationships into perspective, you know, from basically a third party, you know, because you point out that America is really a puritanical society. We're obsessed with the sex lives of our leaders Um, and into some, you know, no judgment here because, you know, without that obsession, this book wouldn't exist. Let's be honest, you know, (laughs) but but Europe, not really so much at all. I think it's it's summed up in this in the French reaction to the Clinton scandal, which was, why didn't he get a mis- mistress that wouldn't talk? <laughs> right? right. So that I, that kind of says it all. You know, the, the people in Europe, you know, a lot of the countries, I think Italy and, and France, as you mentioned, you know, the, the level of affairs kind of shows their virility, their strength, their masculinity in some ways, I guess, is really what we're saying. And they like that. They, they elect people to office no matter how corrupt they are. Just, that's what I gathered. Right. It, it, it is very funny how the, how the French, um, and even the Italians, you know, they, they had as uh, Prime Minister um, Berlusconi, who just, you know, he was, he was up there with JFK. He had this island with a palace on it, and he would import <laughs> young women. And they would dance around an enormous, like, eight-foot-tall phallus in, in the sure. uh, drawing room in does. naughty nuns costumes with, you know, high heels and bare behinds. And um, and then he would bed as many of them as he could. And, you know, he was in his 70s when he when he left office. And uh, they, they, they were tapping his phones, you know, for they were trying to get the goods on him for, for corruption and bribery. And so there are these hilarious recordings of him telling a friend of his, like, yeah, I had 12 of them lined up last night outside the bedroom door, but I could only do nine of them. And I'm thinking, damn, you're 73 years old. I mean, that's pretty good. That's 75%, right? right? I mean, that's three quarters. <laughs> Oh my God! It's unbelievable. It's like Hugh Hef. That's a like Hugh Hefner level. I mean, that's impressive. Ah, uh, yeah. And then you know, his wife finally left him when he was he was having a relationship with a seventeen year old uh, Moroccan prostitute. So she was underage, and uh, you know, it just she, she even she couldn't that was put up with uh, with that anymore. So so what I learned, <laughs> what really surprised me about that is, uh-huh. yes, we have this strong puritanical streak. Somehow, I, I think it came over here with the pilgrims 400 years ago. And even though, you know, there's so many cultures and, and just so many, you know, hundreds of millions of people, why do we still have it? I don't know, but it is there. It's always been there. But I would tell you it's on the surface. Hmm. So we squawk and we sniff and we say that's not right what he's doing. And then you know what? Going back to the 1790s, early 1800s, we've always voted our issues because Deep down, I don't, I don't think many of us care about a politician's sex life. We want to know, is he going to lower our taxes? Uh, is he going to uh, make sure I keep my job? Am I going to have a roof over my head? Are my kids going to have uh, a brighter future than I do? That's what people care about, you know? They even voted for a guy who was clearly a rapist. Mm-hmm. He raped and impregnated a woman, Grover Cleveland, um, in the election of 1884, this all came out in the press, and she told her side of the story. And they, he still became president because people knew he was incorrupt financially. He could never be bribed, and he'd reduce their taxes. No, and I, I think I, this may be controversial, I think, but I, I agree with that 100%. I don't actually care what – I mean – I think it's interesting. So to say I don't care is is, is not exactly true. But it, I would. This seems so inconsequential to the role of of president that in my mind, if that's what a guy needs to do, as long as he's not breaking any laws, as long as everything's consensual, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. If that's what it takes to run the free world, then 
by God, do what you need to do. If you and your, if you and your partner have figured that out, that's kind of your thing. What, what, who cares about yeah. my opinion or the public's opinion? Just do your job well. Everyone should be happy. That's my opinion. Right. I, I think so. When you, you know, the, the top-rated um, presidents, one of them was um, FDR, mm-hmm. Franklin Roosevelt, and he almost single-handedly got this country out of um, the Great Depression. Right. And he got people back to work, and he saved them from starving. And then by the time that was going along well, well, Hitler started invading countries, and then he had to deal with World War II. And, you know, he he had uh, more than one mistress, and and he was still one of the greatest presidents we ever had. And, you know, a lot of people don't like Bill Clinton, but the economy was going gangbusters. uh, Foreign affairs was going great. I mean, in many ways, he he was a, a wonderful president and and that's true you know jimmy carter was probably one of the the smartest presidents we've had intellectually and the kindest certainly but you know inflation was rampant and he wasn't really tough against the soviets and you know i just people weren't really thrilled with him as as president he doesn't get a, a really top ranking but he was a faithful husband so my point is it doesn't one thing doesn't necessarily reflect on the other let's so let's talk about we got to get we we got to get into some of the stuff because there are i mean this book kind of blew me away first of what all part? well so I, I got a couple here um i'd okay. love to start with jfk uh but but okay. i don't want to because i think before we this okay so let's talk about alexander hamilton first if we could because i found some uh-huh. some uh-huh. striking modern very recent similarities which i'm going to save until the end but this one i thought was really cool number one hamilton is you know this extremely popular musical i'm not a musical fan so i haven't seen it yet but but I probably should just for pop culture's sake. But he was, you know, just he as a as a character in history is just really interesting. I didn't know anything about this affair, which in some ways is kind of unique, at least unique in your book. Uh, let, can we talk about this really quickly? So he, you know, first of all, he's kind of like a ladies' man. You know, he's married to he marries Eliza, but he's you know already kind of flirting with her older sister, mm-hmm. uh, which is already you know, uh oh, he's already this grounds of shaky foundation. But then he meets. Maria Reynolds. So tell me a little bit about how they meet and, and a little bit about, about their the beginning of that relationship. So um, he was the first uh, U.S. Treasury Secretary. He's the one who set up our whole monetary system the way we have it. He was a founding father, though he never became president, but he was also the first uh, U.S. Uh, political sex scandal. So he was at his home uh, in Philadelphia, uh, which was the capital in 1793, I think it was. And uh, this beautiful young woman, 23, um, you know, calls in uh, to meet him. And, you know, she says her husband has kicked her out on the street and she needs to get back to her relatives in New York State. And could he give her some money? And, um, and he said, well, he didn't have any. Of course, his wife was in the next room. And he would call, call upon her in her rooms at the boarding house that night. And... He he wrote later when he when he discussed what happened that he he realized that there was a lot more going on and uh, he gave her something like eight hundred dollars in today's money which you know that's a lot more than stagecoach fare would have been and <laughs> right, so they yeah. you know they start off this torrid uh, affair and then it then her husband comes back in the picture and 
Uh, they all, she's, he's still having the affair with the wife, and then the husband pretends like he just discovered it, and then they start blackmailing him. Um, and when this all came out uh, a few years later, some of his uh, letters found their way into his uh, political opponent's hands, and they started you know, writing about it in the press that not only did he have this affair with a blackmailing prostitute, but that a lot of the money he had given her husband was to speculate in government securities, which was flat against the, the very law that Hamilton had had written to prevent that kind of thing. So he, he was really upset to be accused of um, financial corruption. And so he rage wrote a hundred page pamphlet, which he you know was sold in all the bookstores, explaining everything that happened, uh, admitting the uh, affair. Um, and printing all the letters, the, the misspelled stupid letters from this married couple, um, and uh, defending himself against uh, allegations of corruption. And, you know, in the, at first everyone was pretty appalled that he did this, but I'll tell you, in the long run, it just it, it, it strengthened his reputation because he had the reputation of being an honest man. He wouldn't steal a dime from anybody. He made a mistake with this gorgeous woman. I guess a lot of his... Um, colleagues would have done exactly the same thing, right? And so mm -hmm. the judgment against him was was very muted, much more so than if he had just kept silent or denied it. You see, and I think that's something that you know politicians since then should really um, should really emulate. <laughs> I agree. I love that you said rage wrote. Did they call it that back then? Or is that... No, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> I think that's like a 10-year-old term. <laughs> I love it. It's great. Well, there's a couple of really fun details in the story that I want to talk about. So you okay. mentioned, so there's Maria Reynolds. She has a husband, husband named James. Jacob. Was it Jacob or James? I can't remember. Oh, I wrote James. Maybe you're right. Because Jacob, okay. Jacob comes into the story, which is really interesting. So James is oh, the yeah, one. Yeah. Okay, okay. So James is, is the husband, but he's kind of been like pimping her out in a way, like yeah. the influential men, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Hamilton was so just... So he could then blackmail them. Yeah. He's her pimp. Yeah. He was just like the latest mark, you know, like that's what's right. so funny about it. And you, you know, you mentioned he seemed to be kind of sexually addicted to her because he was still betting her while James was blackmailing him. So he knew it was a bad idea and he's still kind of running with it. And this is the smartest man in the United States at the time. Right. It just shows right. you how sex can make you lose your mind, right? Well, for sure. I mean, look, biologists have shown that once the sex hormones start flooding the brain, I mean, you're kind of not thinking, your brain doesn't even have the same chemical composition that it does and. <laughs> you know, when you're in rational thinking, right? So it's, right, it's right. true. So, you know, let's cut Hamilton some slack here. Poor guy, you know. Uh, right. <laughs> but, you know, so Jacob, Jacob Klingman is his friend from, from Congress, right, from, right, from right. the government. Yeah. They, he just accidentally sees him walking into the Reynolds house and it's kind of like, what in the world does Alexander Hamilton have to do with this, my lowly kind of thuggish friend, the Reynolds. Right, you know? right. So I thought that was kind of a really fun story. Yeah, he had he had some bad luck. I have to say. for sure. <laughs> No, for sure. Well, and so, so there's, you know, in the book, there's, there's a whole jail scheme going on here. But one of the things that I think is so, there's a couple of the details here that are really funny um, because we're kind of glossing over some of the best parts of the story. But Maria ends up divorcing James, her her pimp, I guess I could say, and then marries right. Klingman, Jacob, the guy who caught Alexander Hamilton walking in and out. So they get they get married, which makes this all crazy. You mentioned that, you know, Alexander Hamilton rage writes this whole piece. He's more concerned about his 
the integrity of his reputation in the government than he is with his own marriage, which is kind of a theme that runs through some of these high-profile people. I thought that was a lot of fun. And the last thing here, and I think you probably love this one as well, is that so when this affair is revealed, he's there's there's an internal affair as you mentioned. There was some idea that maybe they were using this money um, to in you know improperly invest government funds. So he's kind of investigated. These investigators real re, find out what happens, realizes. Hamilton's innocent, and they say, we're going to keep our mouths shut about this. Alexander Hamilton, and I've made this mistake before, which is why I thought this was so funny. Alexander Hamilton asks for records of the transcript he had with these investigators, <laughs> and the guy, because they didn't have Xerox machines back then, so the copier, the guy actually physically writing this down, was an enemy of Hamilton, and that's how all this gets out. Did I get most of those right? right? So he, 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 an extra copy and we think he gave it to Thomas Jefferson who right. just absolutely hated Hamilton right so you, you need to know that um, Hamilton and Jefferson um, is sort of it's sort of like the, the same political situation we have today where you've got Republicans and Democrats and they're uh -huh. like they really really hate each other yeah. and each one has their own press so you know Hamilton would have had MSNBC uh, and, and, and Jefferson would have had Fox News, and they're always right. at each other's yeah. throats. Yeah. And that's yeah. why all this stuff comes out in the press, because it's just very muckraking and scandalous. Mm -hmm. No, and it's, I mean, it's a fun story, really. I mean, looking back, I mean, it's, it's a pretty crazy story. So I've got, I've got a question for you. Did any of this show up in the musical? Because, again, I haven't seen the musical. You know, I haven't seen the musical. I would love to. The musical was based on a book called Hamilton. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, you know, one of the first books I read to research Sex with Presidents, and it was one of the best books I have ever read. I mean, really? it's really long. It's like 800 pages, and I can't recommend it enough. It's beautifully written. It's jaw-droppingly interesting. Hmm. Um, and so, but I just can't see, I don't know, 1200 bucks for a theater ticket. Of course, you can't even go right now. That's crazy. But, um, but uh, yeah, so I haven't seen that. I, I would love to. But from what I understand, because I did look it up, it's all in there. M Maria Reynolds in a red dress with a ripped bodice and all of that. Yeah, oh, man, that makes me want to see it now. I want to see all this stuff. Yeah, in me there. too. <laughs> well, so here's my modern example. So this is exactly what I thought about while reading this. I don't know how kind okay. of up to date you are on what's going on in the entertainment world. Right. I mean, obviously, you're probably yeah. well aware of like Me Too and Harvey Weinstein and all that. Stuff. Yeah. But have that you, much I am. Yeah. Have you heard of Charlotte Kirk? Do you know who that is? No. So Charlotte Kirk, this is very recent. So um, I, I worked with and played basketball with Kevin Suchihara, who was the CEO of Warner Brothers Studios. So he became romantically involved with a woman named Charlotte Kirk. And this came out. He was married at the time, and he essentially promised her roles for sex. This was uh -huh. this was kind of brokered by another high-level producer at the studio, um, James <laughs> Packer, who worked for Rat Pack, which is Brett Ratner's company. That's where Rat Pack comes from. So that that's at Warner Brothers. Now, just recently, I think maybe a month ago, the NBC Universal vice chairman Ron Meyer got was romantically romantically linked to Charlotte Kirk. Both of these high-level people were um were resigned from office. Uh, several other power players were involved. Bribes, extortion and pimps were also involved, including her pimp being her fiance, who was a director who was also trying to get work. So these guys were, you know, and I think she's been actually been connected to several other high profile, um, high profile players in the entertainment industry. But this is, I mean, this is like 
almost Hamilton, like word for word, minus the people asking for, you know, for copies of their transcript. Now we have text messages, so it's a little different, but very similar. like maybe she's the reincarnation of Maria Reynolds, right? Like that would explain everything, I think. It it was just, it was amazing how similar that story is to this Alexander Hamilton one. Uh, So let's, you know, let's stick in the, in the old timey times if we can, because one of the other things, this is also, you know, very, uh, I guess, front and center given our current political climate. Um, But Thomas Jefferson, Right. I didn't uh-huh. really know the story of Thomas Jefferson. You know, I knew he had relationships with his slaves. I didn't know, you know, how far it went or what his what his feelings were for them. But his relationship with Sally Hemings is very interesting. I love this. It has a very uh, Woody Allen feel to it, kind of. <laughs> you know? uh-huh. um, but but tell me a little bit about, about his story. Let's let's get this. So um, he uh, had married a woman named Martha that he was completely in love with, and they were married maybe 10, 12 years. He, she'd gotten pregnant six times, and um, you know each pregnancy she got sicker, and back then they couldn't help her, and mm. so she, she died. And um, she on the deathbed, she made him promise to never remarry because you know there, there were all these horrible stories about how you know, it's like the wicked stepmother treating the, the you know the stepchildren and that kind of thing. So he swore he would never remarry. Now. When she married him, she came with some enslaved people as part of her dowry, and one of them was her half-sister, because her father had had, had relationships with uh, slaves, and I think these days we would probably call it rape, because the slaves really had no choice in the matter. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, but there was, there was a beautiful young girl named Sally Hemings. Um, when... Uh, when Jefferson was in Paris, he'd taken his older daughter there, and then three years later, he, w- he was serving as ambassador uh, from the U.S. to the court of King Louis XVI and Queen Marie Antoinette. Um, he decided he wanted his young daughter to uh, to come, but he, you know, it's like a, I don't know, four or five-week trip on a sailboat over the Atlantic Ocean, and he had to try to find somebody to bring her, and the, the only one that could be sent was this 14-year-old girl named Sally. Hemings, and the theory is Sally may have resembled his his late lamented wife because they had this they had the same father, mm-hmm, right? right? Yeah. And um, so she goes over there, and she was described as very beautiful. And uh, her brother is a a chef um, in Jefferson's uh, palatial digs, and so she's there with her older brother, and they're they're there for two years. And by the time she leaves, she's sixteen, and she's pregnant with his his child. Now, she could have stayed in France and been free, uh, but as her son later uh, explained uh, to a reporter in the 1870s, Jefferson um, promised her that um, he would free their children when they became 21, and, you know, and maybe at 16, here was this powerful, still handsome, virile, white man, right? Mm-hmm. And her master. Right. I think she probably fancied herself in love with him and she actually gave up freedom to to come back to the United States with him. And she they ended up having I think it was um six or seven children, uh four made it to adulthood. He did not free them. And finally they just got disgusted and, and walked away. Um you, you know, and he let them. Um, but I, I really, you know, for researching that story, I, I just didn't, I, I didn't like Thomas Jefferson anymore. I, he, he kept, he kept, well, it wasn't just that. Yeah. I mean, maybe it was on some level a consensual relationship, or maybe Sally thought it was. She obviously went back with him. Uh, and it seems like they were both faithful to each other sexually for uh, 30 years. But 
he kept whining and dining people in a pathological way. Like it mm-hmm. was, he was a sociopath in terms of, you know, lordly entertaining. And he knew um, that when he died, all of his enslaved people would have to be sold to pay his debt, that he just kept doing it, you know? Oh, right. yeah, so yeah. after he died, you know, there were these advertisements in the paper, you know, 300 Negroes for auction. I mean, how could he have done that? He, mm-hmm. he did, you know, Sally was, she wasn't legally free because they would have to file news, you know, uh, papers at the courthouse and the newspapers who knew about their relationship would have trumpeted it. So, but she was given her time, which is sort of an unofficial um, liberation. So, you know, it was just, it was, it was a sad story and I don't like him anymore. (laughs) I think that that's a fair assessment. I mean, what's tricky. And again, something controversial that I'm going to say is we look at some of these, you know, we, we kind of have an objective moral stance. And I think some of those apply in this situation, but also we're looking at with 21st century eyes on something that happened in the 1700s which is a little, it's just a little tricky. It gets a little muddy, but I think some things are objective, and that is he was having a relationship with her. If he had feelings for her, he promised that he would free her and her children. She moved from Paris, as you mentioned. I mean, talk about a betrayal. I mean, that's that just as a person from any moral compass, I think you would, you know, any position on that moral compass, you would be good, true to your word. You know, as a man, as a as a legislator, as a person in Congress, you should have you should have done that. Despite, especially it's on his deathbed, right? There aren't there aren't any ramifications from it politically. And as you mentioned, he's he's doing all these parties, jacking up his his debt that's going to have to be paid, and his only real property is the estate and in his servants. And, and I think that that I think that you're exactly right. That does kind of. Criminalize him. And and let us not forget this is the this is the writer of the Declaration of Independence right. who who put those immortal <laughs> right. words down on paper that all men are created equal. Right. Except what? Those with darker skin. And the fact is that his children with Sally, they were I guess they were seven eighths white. Yeah, yeah. They they yeah. didn't even have darker skin necessarily. And um, they were waiting on his table as enslaved people, his sons. Yeah, they were th- three quarters, right? And related to him, technically. I mean, half, half, uh, his wife's half sister, right? Yes, it was. Yeah. Yes, it gets so complicated, they, but yeah, it's it's complicated. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, two of them actually uh, went north, changed their names. Nobody knows what happened to them, and, huh. and they passed for white. That's how white they were. Interesting. So yeah, it's just there's there's just a there's a it was a sad story really. I didn't like that one. No, it is it is a really bad story, and you know he does he you know. I I understand why people are reconsidering his story and his narrative now. It makes a lot of sense. Um, Let's talk. I want to get to John F. Kennedy, if we could, because to me, this was the most interesting chapter. And I think because, no, we haven't mentioned this. But briefly, if I understand this correctly, you know, we we talk about Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson. The sex lives of presidents, it was kind of open season until— the 1900s. I think even Grover Grover Cleveland and the rape, which we'll also get to, that kind of I think is a turning point in all of this for some weird reason. Yeah, it was about 19 around 1900. The press changed direction. So up until then, it had been like a, a trade, uh, right? Not a profession. Okay. okay. Uh, and by 1900, they uh, organized. Uh, themselves um, into a profession. The National Press Club was founded. There was um, uh, a, a journalist's uh, decree of, of how a journalist should should behave ethically, and, and gentlemen didn't report on other gentlemen's sex lives. Mm. And so from about 1900 up until Watergate, 
all of this stuff was hidden by the press, and journalists in D.C. knew just about all of it. Right, right, You know, right. they, they'd go into a room to meet JFK. There's a nude actress on the bed, and I mean, right. <laughs> and they, you, you never no heard until after, <laughs> right, after Watergate, all of these people started writing books about JFK. Well, he was the, because he was kind of the last one protected by this journalistic pact to not mention the personal lives of presidents, which is... Well, actually, it was LBJ, his successor, Johnson. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, because they also, you know, when he was, after his inauguration, he had some of the press for drinks, and he said, he said, boys, he said, you're going to see a few women coming in and out of my bedroom, and uh, you're just not going to say a word about that in the press, are you? And they goes, oh, no, we won't, and so they... They didn't. That was LBJ, who probably dictated that from his toilet, from what I understand. <laughs> yes, he dictated it from his toilet. Right. <laughs> uh, now, so Kennedy, you kind of started off, and I think this is probably your love of nobility, but you started off with a great quote, this kind of brutal comparison to Camelot. And that's, you know, you say that adultery infected King Arthur's court like a plague and his reign ended in bloodshed, which is such a great, you know, analogy to um, what happened with JFK. <laughs> because he, here's a couple of interesting facts that, that, that I love. He, Kennedy told a British prime minister, uh, British prime minister, Harold McMillian, that he gets migraines if he doesn't get a strange piece of ass every day. That's a quote from your book. I know he used women like aspirin, right, for his headache. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'll pop one here. Right. I think if he used them like aspirin, he would have OD on aspirin, the way if I understand his, <laughs> he how he was administering it, if I remember correctly. Um, but so he was with, this is, I thought, interesting. I think you start your book off with this. But JFK was with a prostitute one and a half hours before the famed debate, the 1960 presidential debate with Nixon, where he looks you know, like a movie star and Nixon looks like The Walking Dead. Um, he was with her for 15 minutes before that debate. Because that debate went so well and basically carried him to the presidency, he arranged for that situation before every debate. I thought that was amazing when I first started your book. When I ended your JFK chapter, I thought that this had already been in place before the debate happened, is my guess. Um, I, I, I don't, I mean, it was the first uh, televised debate right. in uh, United States history, right? And I think he hadn't had the opportunity I mean, I think he had the prostitutes um, just, uh, you know, to feel better, to, to work off some stress right before the debate. You know, it must have been very nerve-wracking. Sure, um, right. And when he saw his performance where he was just glowing, you know, he, he was just young and handsome and right. relaxed. And then um, Nixon was there sweating like a pig. And right. Mayor Daly of Chicago said, my God, Nixon looks like he's been embalmed and he's not even dead yet. So so when Kennedy saw the, the result um, of, um, you know, how effective his 15 minutes with the prostitute had been, that's when he arranged to uh, to do that with some frequency. Well, well you know, what's kind of what I, I love about this is, so that's kind of kicks this all off. I mean, his first love affair in, in the book you mentioned in 19, I mean, it starts off amazing, right? In 1941, He's with a 24-year-old named Inga uh, Arvad, I believe. She was from Arvad. Arvad. Uh-huh. She German, was from Denmark, yeah. and she was close with Hitler. I mean, he just like right out of the box, he is just going with uh, you know as, as crazy and as controversial as you can get right off the bat. So much so that J. Edgar Hoover was involved. He takes so many risks. So you know, it was during World War II. He he was a, a young officer in the Office of Naval Intelligence, and here he is having an affair with a woman who. 
you know, was like Hitler's friend, right? And um, they they tried to warn him that's not a good idea, and he he didn't stop. And then then when he was president, even he was having uh, an affair with the uh, the mafia mole Judith right. Campbell. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, you know, she she was she was the mistress of Sam Giancana, who was uh, Al Capone's replacement, and you know, mm-hmm. running the the Chicago uh, mob. And he was also having an affair. Uh, with an East German lady named Ellen Romich, who J. Edgar Hoover swore was a Soviet spy. So he, he was completely reckless in tr- it, with national security in terms of his sex life. Well, I'm going to go one step further because this shocked me. Okay, you mentioned this twice in the book, and I can only imagine that these are not the only two situations. But you said that, that Kennedy refused to wear a condom. That like yeah. blew my mind. How can you be do be this promiscuous with a wife in the political positions that you're in, with basically any woman out there, and not at least take basic precautions? That kind. Of, I mean, I know I don't want to sound like I'm clutching my pearls here, but that in some ways did kind of shock me. Well, it's because he was a good Catholic. Like he would pay for their abortions, but he didn't want to oh, use birth nice. control. That's nice. <laughs> Yeah, but the problem is, I mean, there there was, I think, a serious health consequence. When he was a young man, um, he had caught uh, a a case of chlamydia, which apparently was somewhat resistant to antibiotics by the time they had them out in, like, 46, 47. Uh And um, they they just could never quite cure it. And so his wife, Jackie, had five pregnancies, you know, healthy young woman, and and she only ended up with two children Hmm. because, um, you know, it, it could be, that uh, that the chlamydia had an effect on her pregnancies. Well, I mean, so, okay, so th- uh, that even shocks me even more. So he gets this bad case of the clap. I just like that, that term for it. And then doesn't at all take that into consideration moving forward. If it happened early on in his life, he didn't even, like, think that that could happen again. And then the ramifications that could have on his family, on his political career. I, I don't know. This, this was honestly one of the biggest shocks in the book um, because that, it just seemed so unnecessarily reckless. Uh, but this is also, you know, it, JFK is also, you know, one of these, I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, but these kind of like partner relationships is he realized he needed to get married and then he marries, you know, Jackie Bouvier, uh, you know, Bouvier, who is one of two people, uh, Richard Nixon being the other, who are, they have Simpsons characters named after him. The Bouvier is obviously that is Marge's um, maiden name oh, and, uh-huh. and Milhouse, uh, Nixon's middle name is Bart's nerdy friend who looks a lot like Nixon. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I never knew that. Yeah, but okay. that's that comes from this. But you know, she was kind of she did look like the perfect wife, and it was a good marriage to kind of make Kennedy look respectable, I guess. Yeah, he was what thirty five, thirty six when they yeah maybe thirty five, but they got married. It was time, you know, mm. and. Um, uh, for his political career to, to keep soaring upwards, he, he needed the perfect wife, and he found her. You know, she was uh, several years younger and beautiful from a, from a multimillionaire uh, family, uh, Catholic. Uh, you know, she, she was she, wonderful at decorating. Mm-hmm. She was um, quite fashionably dressed, beautiful taste, and just, just perfect for him. But um, he... He treated her so badly. You know, on their honeymoon, maybe you remember that anecdote. They're, they're right. at a big party down, in Mexico. Yeah. They, <laughs> yeah. they got married like three days earlier, and he disappeared yeah. in a bedroom with with a, a woman from the party. And there's Jackie just sitting there, you know, depressed with a drink in her it's hand. Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. Now, was she in on this? Did they have an agreement, or did, or did she walk into this kind of naive? 
No, her, his friends who really liked her said, you know, he's never going to be faithful to you. But I think she came from uh, the kind of lifestyle, you know, the rich and famous, where husbands were never going to be completely faithful to their wives. But maybe he thought after five or ten years he'd have a mistress or something. Mm-hmm. She didn't know it was going to start off on the honeymoon and never stop. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it was. He hit the gas early. I mean, he really did. Um, but yeah. but Jackie also, but she took up with with a Hollywood actor, William Holden. I mean, she, you know, I think that was probably you mentioned it's kind of more out of revenge. But you know, that's this is it's it's funny because they are looked at from a you know a picturesque standpoint of being like a perfect couple, but they were kind of the epitome of you know don't judge a book by its cover because things are you know rotten in Denmark. Yeah, well, that's why I just the whole. Camelot myth was such a lie, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I understand the frailties of human nature. I do, but it's the lies that really, um, anger me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess after the assassination, she was trying to do some, you, you, some repair to the reputation in case any of this stuff came out. But, you know, that, that it was just this perfect, this perfect time, Camelot, everything was wonderful. It was not wonderful. She was so depressed that she, she got on drugs, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Valium and uppers and downers because she just, she was so miserable with this guy. I mean, she would crawl into her bed. There's one story where she, she finds some woman's panties under right. her pillow. <laughs> right. Right, and she yeah, fishes yeah. them out, holds them with her finger, and says, "Why don't you shop these around? They're not my, my size." <laughs> well, and and yeah. the other creepy thing about JFK is, you know, so in the White House, the both the president and the first lady have their own bedroom suite. Mm-hmm. So she was often gone. She'd take the kids and go riding in the country, whatever, for weekends because she just couldn't stand to be with them that much. And um, so he'd bring women in. And do you think? Do you think he would take them to his own bed to have sex? No, he'd take them to hers, and then he wouldn't have the sheets changed. So the Secret Service and the household staff were picking hairs off of the sheets and make up the bed, and then she would come back to, like, sheets stained by her husband and some strange woman having sex. I mean, that's just really bizarre. Now, was this, I, I think this was probably the beginning of C, uh, forensics, CSI style um, forensics, uh, police police work. But also what's what's crazy about that is you mentioned, and I don't know if you said this as a joke because his, his, his philandering was so prolific, this could actually be true, but did they just not have enough sheets to keep up with his activities? Or was, was this some kind of like weird mental thing where he got off on, you know, on her not being aware or whatever? I think it was a weird metal thing, and I said that thing about the sheets just as a joke. It's funny. Um, to tell you the truth. <laughs> For sure. I believed it, though. I, 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 try, I try to put as much humor, humor as possible into these stories so that people don't get depressed. Right. No, yeah, I believe that for a second. It was, you know, it's funny. And, and here's the other thing that was actually, I don't know how I felt about this, but I, I thought it was extremely interesting. Is, you know, Kennedy is kind of known, obviously known as being a ladies' man, very attractive guy. Um, you know, I think, I forget the name of the woman you mentioned, but she was she was young. She was like an intern, and she was, you know, this is... Oh, Mimi, Mimi Beardsley. Yeah, yeah, I think she was the one who was kind of... The the line of consent was a little blurry, but she was, you know, she kind of went along with it because he was the president and she wanted to be wanted by the president. But what's what's so funny about these stories is that from what I understand from in your book, he was not at, he was a horrible 
he was horrible in bed. I mean, it was it was really just for him. You know, he was kind of like a two pump chump. Like it was, you know, the best minute of. <laughs> I think one. I think he said one was the best three minutes of my life. Shower included. I think no, it, it was the actress Angie Dickens, Dickinson purportedly said. Uh, that sex with JFK was the best 60 seconds of her life. <laughs> yeah, like, but that's cr- and then he would just roll over and fall asleep and that was you know Jackie's problem with him. But you don't you don't think about you know we, I guess we kind of have this myth that he's some great you know great in bed and whatever but in truth it was totally selfish and it was you know just really an aspirin which is kind of a crazy thought. Well, he did have a very bad back. Sure, you right. know he had Addison's disease. Plus, he really messed up his back in World War Two. Uh, like he was in this PT boat, and the Japanese launched a torpedo and blew it to smithereens. And he was—he really was a hero. Like he towed some guy right. several miles to an island with the, you know, like the strap between his teeth, and his. So, so um, his back was a mess. But I, really, he made no effort with with women. It'd be like a minute or two, he'd roll over and and fall asleep. So he was actually he was the most prolific. But he was actually the worst uh, lover of all of them. <laughs> right. And you've done research. I mean, if anyone's going to know, it's going to be you, right? I mean, this is and, – and from your book, I mean, this is kind of what, what you came up with, which is surprising because obviously his most famous relationship is with sex symbol – some say sex goddess of the time, 1960s, Marilyn Monroe – who you know yeah. he started during the presidential campaign and she honestly fell hard for him like she was really in love yeah, with him did. and what's also crazy is she had an affair with Bobby Kennedy his brother and then because the, you know because i think J Edgar Hoover gets involved or people get involved and kind of break that up you know this is kind of you know you mentioned that her last phone call was with JFK before she commits suicide so there's a real connection here you know which is why it made such headlines at the time Yes, well, she had been having a fling with JFK, and I think everyone must have seen um, a clip of um, his birthday party at Madison Square Gardens where she's saying, Happy birthday, Mr. President, in that skinned tight dress. Um, And uh, the people who were there at the time said that it was just so obvious that the two were having an affair that they practically oozed sex standing next to each other. And so... um, he he was told, I, I think by J. Edgar Hoover at the FBI, that, you know, he needed to stop it. And so he handed her over to Bobby. He asked Bobby to console her, which he did admirably. And then after a couple of months, J. Edgar Hoover told Bobby, who he couldn't stand anyway, so I don't know if this is true or not, but that the mafia had put recording devices in their hotel rooms and that, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. they, you know, here's Bobby, U.S. Attorney General, and is trying to fight uh, organized crimes. It was just a mess. So then he had to dump her too, and shortly after that, um, she ended up mysteriously dead. Right. I mean, it, it's it's yeah. I mean, it's it's absolutely tragic, but it just shows you the the how connected JFK was to probably every woman. He, he was six degrees of every woman, I think, in the world at that point. I, I think so too. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I, we probably won't get to Warren G. Harding, which I recommend everyone read that book. This is a, a superstar uh, as far as you know the sexual charisma goes. But one of the things that I, I think I, I want to talk about FDR for a second because in some ways. I, this is kind of a sad story for everyone involved, starting out with, you know, FDR marries Eleanor Roosevelt, if she wasn't mm-hmm. Eleanor Roosevelt at the time, but... 
She was actually. They were cousins. Oh, oh my God, that's so right. I had that written down because I thought that was so very her name odd. was Eleanor Roosevelt Roosevelt. Right, right. Because they were they were like was it third cousins or something? It was like I think it was fifth. It wasn't really close. Okay, okay. Um, fifth cousins. Right, right, right. So she was Eleanor Roosevelt. I forgot that. But you know, you you, you kind of start out by saying that she didn't like sex. That is really hard to overcome in a marriage, even a, even one that's kind of quasi-political at the time. Um, so this didn't go over very well, I don't think. Yeah, you know, it, she had a very um, strange childhood. She was orphaned early on. She was she was raised by this really strange great aunt in something like bleak. It was it was just a Dickensian childhood. Even though they were very wealthy, it was cold and dark and drafty, mm-hmm. and you had to wear old clothes and eat really disgusting food. And um, so so, and then she shoots up to what five foot eleven right, or something. Yeah, yeah, you know, the average height of a woman was like five two, and. So she she just everybody always told her she was ugly. And if you look at the pictures of her as a young woman, she was really lovely. You know, her chin was a little weak, but who cares? She was gorgeous. Anyway, she thought of herself as ugly, and I think that's the that was the main problem. And uh, when she goes to the debutante balls, the, the handsomest and most eligible young man, um, Franklin Roosevelt, was the one courting her, and she was just so happy, you know. So she uh, she marries him, and even on the honeymoon, she's just not really happy. She doesn't like sex mm-hmm. very much, and and then he starts having a. You know, she's always pregnant. The first few years didn't like that very much. Um, so he starts having an affair about mm, ten, eleven years after their wedding. Uh, with her social secretary, Lucy Mercer, who is blonde and beautiful, charming and feminine, just the kind of of easygoing woman that uh, FDR likes, whereas Eleanor is just very serious, no sense of humor, and, and rather hectoring, you know, so he has an affair with Lucy, and then Eleanor finds out, and, and you know, will never sleep with him again, and makes him promise never to see Lucy, which he, he, he does see Lucy. Lucy was actually with him when he died, uh, when he had his fatal stroke, uh, actually, in in April of 1945. So they, they never lost touch. You know, they, they just loved each other so much. And he also had an affair with uh, his secretary of 20 years, Missy mm-hmm. LeHand. And then Eleanor um, you know, had her own affair um, with Lorena Hickok. She was a, um, a reporter for the Associated Press. Uh, and that went on uh, for a few years. So I, I think they really did love each other. And I think he respected Eleanor, even though she wasn't a barrel of laughs. <laughs> she cared so much for the most vulnerable yeah, people yeah. in the country, you know, the unemployed, minorities, minors. Um, so I think he really respected her. And you know, she did a lot of good for people during the Depression and, and during the, the Second World War. He listened to her advice uh, a great deal. Well, I thought this was kind of this was an interesting chapter because Eleanor, to me, was much more interesting than FDR because FDR just kind of has, you know, he just kind of wasn't satisfied in his marriage and has a mistress that he really loves. And, you know, that's it's in some ways as for the other stories in your book. It's a little more boring. But Eleanor kind of goes on this journey. And I do want to mention I'm looking at my notes here. Um, yeah, she was his fifth cousin. And he, uh, FDR also dated his sixth cousin, Daisy. So he was really keeping it in the family, doing what the, doing the, what the royals <laughs> do over there in Europe. Um, but, you know, this is she's kind of going on, at least in your book, you kind of frame it like she's kind of going on this sexual journey because her sexuality is a little fluid. Right. I mean, she's she's kind of with mm-hmm, the you yeah, know, she's kind yeah. of friends with a, a lesbian couple and she doesn't like sex with with FDR. Um, she you know, she has an affair with Lorena Hickok. Do you, was that any relation to Wild Bill? Did you did you happen to? 
I, I don't know. I never read it, so probably not. Oh, okay. All right. Hickok's just such an, an, uh, a particular last name. I was just curious. You know, but, but eventually, at some point, you've got two couples living in the White House. You've got Eleanor and Lorena, and you've got FDR and Lucy. Um, this is it was just such an interesting dynamic and and I think eventually you know Eleanor has an affair with with a, with a, I think a security guard named Dave right I mean I think so she's she's kind of just on a, like a little bit of a journey of her own which I found that to be the most fascinating part of that chapter you know the part that really cracked me up was the White House staff because several of them wrote their um, autobiographies you know and and yeah. this one woman I think her mother. Her mother became a seamstress in 1909, and then and then when when this uh, woman was you know in her 30s, she she became a maid and she was there for 30 years, and so she, there's like 60 years of um, this woman's recollections of of the White House, of the presidents, of first ladies, and and everything. And she said, you know, so the, and these staff just stay from one administration to the next; they're usually not right. replaced. And she said that when the Roosevelts moved in, that there was Lorena Hickok on the daybed in the First Lady's room at night. Mm -hmm. And then there was Missy Lehan, the president's secretary. Uh, She was living in the White House, too. And she'd walk in and out of FDR's room. And they said she was there to take stenography at all hours in case some thought occurred to him. But she would go in like without her steno pad. And so <laughs> the staff was like, what the hell is this? We've never seen anything like this before. She was working on her memory. She was trying to memorize everything, you know, because he, he definitely there had thoughts. Go. Yeah, so he was, she was taking them down. Uh, I mean, I, I got to tell you, this is such an incredible book. I mean, we scratched the surface. We only scratched the surface on, on all these stories. There is so much. It is packed full of of scandalous affairs that are uh, I mean super interesting. So I, I highly recommend it. And from what I understand, your book is available when this podcast is coming out. So where can people find it? Where can people find you? Because uh, they got to get a hold of this book. Okay, so um, they can find me uh, on my website www.eleanorherman e l e a n o r h e r m a n dot com. And there's a really funny video. It's like two minutes that I had put together. And it's uh, about how all the different presidents were in bed based on reports of people who had been in bed with them. And it's, it's hilariously funny. So click on a video and then turn up your sound and listen to the very end because there's just like a little surprise here for, for you. So that's me. Oh, where can people find the book? Oh, anywhere. It's on Amazon, um, you know, Barnes & Noble. Maybe you could try your local bookstore, which would be grateful for your business in this strange time. But it's, it's pretty much everywhere. Great. I mean, it, it's a wonderful book. Hi, I highly recommend it. I was enthralled the entire time. Thank you and so much. No, it's 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 great, and and I got to thank you so much for being on the show today, Eleanor. This has been amazing. Well, thank you. I sure enjoyed it. Uh, and I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. Now, if you like this show, you got to subscribe. It's really easy. Don't worry. We're on all the major podcasting platforms, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now Spotify. And if you're not currently signed up with any of those platforms, you can find links on our website. 
it's easy enough to find. Fascinatingnouns.com. Scroll to the bottom. Find links to the subscription windows. And if you want to follow us on social media, right next to that, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube, of course. With the new addition for this episode, I've uploaded episode 115, The Royal Art of Poisons with Eleanor Herman, as well as this episode. They're both on YouTube. You can find both of those on Eleanor's page. Where do you want to find that? Upper right-hand corner of the page, you can find all of the past guests, or you can find past episodes. It is easy. That is how simple the website is to navigate. And, of course, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening. End of transmission.